Welcome to the Wheatful Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Goff, and I'm so excited you're here. I'm an online product shop owner over at Wheat & Honey Co., a business strategist leading women-owned, profitable, and purposeful businesses, and your host here at the Wheatful Woman Podcast. Join us as we have fun and soulful conversation with a bunch of girlfriends pursuing a life full of intention and purpose. We are here to give you space and tools for your holistic wellness journey and hope you leave each episode feeling a bit more full than when you came. All right, Wheatful Women, let's dive in. Today's episode features Felicia Masonheimer. She's a blogger, a podcast host, and national best-selling author, teaching Christians how to know what they believe and live it boldly. She is author of two self-published books on sexuality and affection, as well as her recent bestseller, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, which is about cultivating a deeper spiritual life in a shallow world. She lives in Northern Michigan with her family, and we're so excited to have her here today. Here's my conversation with Vi. Hi, Felicia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm really excited about this conversation today and would love to start by asking you to tell us a little bit more about your story, how you were raised, how your faith has looked throughout adulthood and now as a mom and as expecting another child as well. Yeah. So I was raised in a Christian home um, and I would say a strong Christian home. Uh, My parents were both active believers. They were involved in the church. They were teaching us at home, you know, how to understand scripture, how to own our faith, how to, you know, defend what we believed. And it became a foundation for me as I was growing in my own walk with the Lord. I will say that as a kid growing up in a Christian home, I really had no interest in Christianity until I was about 15. I started to ask some questions and I distinctly remember being 15 and, and thinking like, what is, what really is eternity and and who is God? And these very existential questions were in my mind and I started exploring them. And that's what eventually led me to follow Christ of my own accord and not just follow my parents. Mm -hmm. And then through college, that really, really solidified what I believed and helped me understand different perspectives. Um, And I was introduced to Christians who believed different things, came from different denominations. And then now uh, I've been married to my husband, Josh, for going on seven years. We have two little girls and we're expecting our third baby in a couple months. And here it's it's really been neat to see how the foundation I had laid by my parents is something that I've had the opportunity to build on in my own walk with the Lord personally, but also in discipling my kids and co-leading alongside my husband and just seeing what does it look like to both have a personal relationship with God while also leading in your family. And um, for me, and given my my work, leading in ministry as well, it's it's been interesting to see how the Lord is still so personal, mm-hmm. um, even when you're talking about Him in terms of theology and ideas and, and teaching about Him, that personal aspect is what grounds me daily. And it's, it's really a blessing. It's, it's been really neat to walk with him this long. Yeah. Yeah. I found you through Instagram through a mutual friend and it's been such a treat to have your influence over my faith and being able to see your wisdom and the way that you're able to speak into narrow topics from multiple angles and teach that biblical wisdom and how that is so personal to each of us. And I know I just finished your book, Stop Calling Me Beautiful. And in that book, you say, I have a lot of notes in front of me that I want to share. But one of the things is you said, following the Spirit's leading means no two lives look the same. No two lives will look the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, first, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And it is so true that when we're walking with Him, you know, there are those fundamental values that are characteristic of Christianity, doctrines that we all affirm if we are to be truly Christian. And yet how that works out 
in where we live, who we love around, who we marry, our, our career, our ministry is so, so different. And that's what makes the body of Christ so powerful is we have all of these people um, immersed into this world doing God's work specifically through their lives. And I just think that's the neatest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And that's what makes it when we each make that relationship with God our own. And when we know that we have this quiet place with him that nobody else can understand because it's our space with him mm-hmm. and he speaks to us uniquely and individually and finding that stillness where we can hear him is so unique to each of us. And yes. that for me growing up, I, I wasn't as curious as I wish I would have been growing up about understanding stories within the Bible and understanding the history Mm-hmm. And in following you just over probably the last two years of being able to follow along on Instagram and now having your book, it, this book, your latest book, it has sparked this, as you call it, holy curiosity in me to realize the word theologian is so intimidating to me, but it's mm-hmm. really not. Following your lead and understanding, okay, let's break this down and really understand this one thing, you focus on smaller, I think it's almost that you're able to make it bite-sized for me. And Mm -hmm. it's not as intimidating because I don't feel like I have to understand everything today. And we weren't created to understand everything. We never will. But you're leading, and I love how you say every woman a theologian. Every woman needs this. And it's an important part of your life to understand your faith and why you believe what you believe and making it your own, but also being open to understanding why other people may have their opinions. Yes. It's yeah. been a beautiful thing to be a part of. Well, I, again, I appreciate that because, you know, even I, am I, as I'm studying these things in order to relay them effectively to others, there are many times where I'm sitting there saying, okay, this is, this is so complicated. There are so many angles to this. I don't understand. I don't understand this. I don't even know how to implement this. And those are concepts that I have to sit with for months sometimes before I can talk about them because I'm personally trying to understand, you know, what what does this aspect of God, you know, mean and where do we find it in the Bible and how does it change how I live? But it blesses me that you do feel like it, it is in these bite-sized increments because that is, that's been my goal from the beginning is to show women and men, but mostly women, that theology is simply the study of the nature of God, which is how we draw near to God. And there's a way to understand it that doesn't mean you have to wear a tweed suit and go to Cambridge. (laughs) You know, you don't have to have all these letters after your name to have a basic understanding of who God is and how you can explain that to the loved ones in your life and your coworkers and the people that you, you come across. We have a lot of people in the world, a lot of Christians who they have a theology because everyone does. Everyone has assumptions that they make about God but they wouldn't be able to explain it if you ask them. They have things that they assume are true, but they haven't checked them against the word or said, you know, okay, I grew up this way or my denomination teaches this, but have I actually checked and seen, you know, what else is out there? What else is being taught on this topic? And and do I really agree with this? Uh, we don't like to ask those questions because it's uncomfortable, but in doing so, we actually end up drawing closer to the heart of God because maybe we land in the same place that we did before. Maybe we change our mind, but we learn more about Him, and that is what changes us. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey of starting this podcast and being the host of a podcast, writing your books? Are those things that you have always wanted to do, or was that something that came up throughout your journey and you stepped into unexpectedly? Definitely the second, <laughs> definitely <laughs> the latter. So I always, I've always been a writer. I started out as a poet actually in high school. Wow. I won some awards for poetry and I did some essays. I liked to write research papers. I liked just research in general. And in college, especially, I found that I really enjoyed it, but I never, I thought, 
you know, it'd be neat to write a book someday, but I never had a clear vision of what it would be about. So I didn't pursue it. And I knew that there was a process to it. And I just, it wasn't, I've always felt, and this may be just specific to me, but I've always just in my personal walk with the Lord in my writing and my ministry, I've just kind of thought, you know, he's going to open the door when the door is supposed to be opened. And I will just let him open the door. And that doesn't mean I don't do anything because I, I was working on, you know, becoming a better writer. I, I took seminars and classes and I wrote on my blog. I wrote for fun, but I didn't pursue a podcast or pursue writing a book. And truly the doors were just open to me eventually and crazy story, but too long to tell here. And so, you know, here we are today. I have two self-published books, uh, traditionally published books, Stop Calling Me Beautiful, and I'm currently almost under contract for a new book. And then we have the podcast. And it's just truly the Lord just leading step by step, opening the doors at the right time. And I think it's been so good that that's the way it happened. Because if I look back and I think if I had pushed and tried to write a book five years ago, the book I would have written would not have served people well. It would have been a product of some legalistic ideas that I was still holding on to, a product of a more shallow faith. And, and not that I have it all figured out now or that I've arrived, but definitely think that what's being produced now is the work of God and definitely not my own pushing mm-hmm. for it, if you will. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that perspective shift. I think there are different seasons of our life where I like to call them glimmers where I truly feel the Lord showing me a bigger piece of the puzzle. I can't see it all, but I see that little glimmer that I didn't see before. And I think there are seasons of our life where we have the purest intentions and we are seeking Christ and we are walking with him, but we just can't see what we need to see to write a book. And there's a different season of your life where you see a little bit more of that and you know, this was him working through me. And I feel that as I published this, I felt it. So that's really neat to get to hear firsthand from you that you felt that. I love that glimmers. That's, that's yeah. such a, that's such a good way of describing it. <laughs> Cause it doesn't always stay long that you, you choose to remember God was faithful. I, I've seen him be faithful and I know he's going to be faithful again. Mm-hmm. So before we move on, I know something that you are passionate about is physical intimacy. And I know that you have works around sexuality. And I know it's not what we're talking about today, but I really felt the Lord put that on my heart as I was reading Stop Calling Me Beautiful. I would love to give you space if there's anything that you would like to say to encourage these women and spur them on in that. Yeah, I, I'm always open to talking about this because it's a part of my story, which you know, Brittany, from the book. And in honestly, I was writing extensively about sexuality several years ago, which I don't do as much anymore, but it kind of was the gateway into a broader discussion of theology, mainly because of my own struggle with sexual sin in my teens and in early college. And at that time, there really wasn't a lot out there for for women in regard to sex, sexuality, and sexual addiction. And so I took the opportunity to to write about that. And so I still will bring it up, talk about it, because I think it definitely is something that needs to be addressed. I think most women who struggle with some kind of sexual addiction or sexual sin, whether it's porn or addictive masturbation, or it's you know, sleeping with their boyfriend, whatever it is, they deep down know that it's not God's intent. And they also feel like they're the only ones who are struggling with it. And that they're somehow weird or it's a man's problem or that, you know, sex becomes gross and dirty and they've never had it explained to them in a godly context. And so my encouragement really is that one, um, there is victory. There is a way out and it's the Lord. He really does forgive, restore, and redeem. And that victory is a lifestyle not a destination. You're, you may get to a point where you are never tempted again. Some people do, but a lot of people don't get to that point and it's a choice. And they, for the rest of their lives, victory is 
is a choice, a lifestyle of saying, you know what, I can't watch that. I can't read that. Um, but I, I'm choosing to put good things into my mind because I know my weaknesses and I want to walk in peace with the Lord. I want to be strong. And that is totally, it's totally possible. I want, I would encourage them, those that are struggling with that message, first of all, and those that maybe aren't struggling, but maybe just have a really dark or sad view of sex based on purity culture or whatever else, I would just say, take some time to read about God's design for sexuality and that it's good and it's something to be celebrated. God sees it as good. He just has a specific context for it. And he, he doesn't, God doesn't create something meant for intimacy and and create it to be gross (laughs) Mm -hmm. or, or dirty. And I think we tend to adopt these ideas from whether the church or the culture and then not check them against the word. And so that would be my encouragement on, on that note. And if someone wants more resources on that topic, I have so many. I have a whole book about it. There's a chapter in Stop Calling Me Beautiful. I have a free email course on it, blog posts, all of it. So plenty of free or paid versions of material they could read. Yeah, we'll add that to the show notes too. So if there's anybody that wants to go deeper on that, I know as I was reading Stop Calling Me Beautiful, that was something that really intrigued me and spiked my curiosity because like you said, you don't see a lot of resources for that topic. And I believe there is such an opportunity for us to learn more and then also to be somebody that can raise children knowing more and educate them and explain to them God's intent behind intimacy and what he wants for you and that gift that he gives us. And in that context, so I'm definitely going to be digging into your resources more and we'll add them in the show notes for anybody else. Thank you. Also curious, but another thing that I see you doing that is so important to me too, is gathering community in your home. And I would love for you to speak into that as well. What has your experience been gathering friends, men and women from your church and your home for worship and teaching and investing in that? relationship. Oh, I love this. So I was the girl in my younger years who just said, I don't like other women. I don't like being friends with women. It's just too hard. I had a few where it seemed to work, but for the most part, I just didn't like hanging out with girls. Mm -hmm. So I would hang out with guys. And what it really was, was my own insecurity and comparison and judgment that were causing me to have issues in my female relationships. And now I look back and I think, gosh, if you could have, you know, let the Lord work on that sooner, <laughs> you know, a lot of these issues that you had probably wouldn't have happened, but we live and learn. So today I just love opening our home to have people, to gather people together And what I found is when you do this consistently and you consistently create a space for questions, deep conversation, talking about faith, talking about culture, people want that. They want to have those discussions and they will come back to have those discussions. And so we have over time, just before... COVID and quarantines and things like that, we were having people over several times a week in different sizes of groups to have coffee or dessert or just sit on the patio with a fire and make s'mores and all catch up. There were so many different ways we could do it, whether people had kids, didn't have kids. We have a lot of friends who are single, a lot who are just married with no kids. And it's just been amazing to see how when you create a safe space for people, they take advantage of that by going deeper with you. But in creating that safe space, one thing that I think I've seen neglected in the conversation, it means that you also have to be on guard against people who destroy its safety. Mm. And this is tough because it means that we have had circumstances where we had to disband groups or say this person is no longer welcome in our home because 
they are not a safe person and they destroy the safety for the others that we're bringing in our home and we're responsible for those people. And so I think it's been it's been more complicated than my husband and I definitely thought, <laughs> but it's also been better than I could have ever imagined. And so you learn as you go how, how to make it work, how to, you know, if, if there's even things like budgeting to feed people. People always tell me, well, I, I can't afford to make a meal. I don't, I never make a full dinner. We all bring food to pass or we just do dessert and coffee. Like there's so many great ways to get people in your home and create an environment where they feel comfortable to open up about their faith and, and their walk with the Lord. What is that like with children when you have yeah. your girls and now you're expecting what does that balance look like and showing them the importance of opening your home, but also respecting your family unit? That's an excellent question. I think more people should ask that question because obviously in your season, there may be times when it's just too much. And so yeah. when we first moved back to Michigan, we were in Virginia and Pennsylvania. When we moved back, I dedicated a year to opening my home extremely often in order to make new friendships. And so we had people in our home a minimum of three days a week, sometimes as many as five days a week. We were in town. And so people would stop by. We had college students that would come hang out on our patio at night. Sometimes we'd go to bed and they'd still be there and we'd be like, lock up, let yourselves (laughs) out. (laughs) But when get kids, yeah, we were like, we are not as young as you. But... (laughs) With kids, I think it's actually been fantastic for my girls who are four and two to have so many people around them all the time because it's, a, it's taught them how to have conversations with adults. It's taught them how to be hospitable, how to think of the people who are coming into our home. It's also created a bond with people who don't have kids yet, who can see how we're raising our kids mm-hmm. and maybe decide, you know, if they have questions about raising kids, we're happy to answer those questions and decide, you know, if they want to imitate any of what we do or if they want to do things differently, uh, it gives a space for that, which I think more singles and marrieds need to have. They need to mm-hmm. be included by people with kids and they then they get a chance to have those questions. Now, obviously, when you have kids, there's bedtimes and things like that. We just stick with our routine and we just taught our girls, you know what? There might still be people here while you go to bed, but that's just how it is. And they learn to sleep through it. And then after that year was over of having people in our house very, very frequently, um, we moved outside of town to a farm and we really kind of took a break from, from that. And had people over much more rarely to give ourselves a little breather, maybe once a week or so we'd have people over. So I think there is just knowing your season mm-hmm. and, and what you can handle in that season. But I'm definitely glad that we made that effort at the beginning because it allowed us to form friendships that we still have and that we continue to cultivate now in our home. Yeah. That's one thing that's blessed me tremendously as my husband and I have been married for two years this past May, and we have a handful of friends that have younger kiddos and they have us over for dinner and we get to see, okay, how do they handle an outburst at dinner when you have friends over? How do they engage in intentional conversation while making sure their child's eating their dinner? What does that bedtime routine look like? How do they, how do they juggle all the things that we've never had to juggle, but so we, one of our biggest dreams is to have a family and we want that. And being able to see firsthand, I want to be that kind of mom and seeing how they're doing it has blessed us so much versus not having that exposure at all. So I love hearing you talk about singles that are coming over, college students, newlyweds, all these different seasons and not feeling like there's a prerequisite of who will feel comfortable, but instead having conversations with people in all these different seasons because learning, I would imagine it goes the other way too. Mm -hmm. Always something we can learn from one another and our seasons and what we're walking through. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I think 
we tend to be very segregated naturally, like, well, I have kids. And so someone without kids isn't interested in like hanging out with me. And of course us having small kids limits, like how late we'll be out at parties, you know, or we ask, can we bring the kids or should we not things like that. But, um, like you said, having these people in our lives who aren't in our life stage, who are younger than us. I'm 30. My husband's 32. A lot of our friends who are couples are 25, 27, 23, you know, so they're in a different life stage, but it's good for us to be involved in their life stage mm-hmm. and, and see their needs and their interests and in, in what they're dealing with, what they're walking through instead of saying, well, I can only hang out with people who have kids under the age of five now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, once you reach, I'm 29, I'll be 30 in December. And when you reach that stage of life, you have friends that are in all different positions. Even if everyone is 30 years old, you'll have friends that just finished school because they're a doctor. You have friends that are single. You have friends that have four kids and everything in between. So it's, it's an interesting opportunity to shift your perspective from being in a season that was just like all your friends to Mm -hmm. embracing how much we can learn from one another in that stage of life. Yeah. I love that. So I want to shift back to your book and I just want to read part of what's on your cover to anyone that's listening that maybe hasn't grabbed a copy. You say finding soul deep strength in a skin deep world. And the very first part, it was, I think it was page, it was page 60 ish, but you're talking about how God is a personal God and our self-discovery is not God's goal. We were meant to know him and make him known. And you speak into how part of that is understanding the whole gospel and addressing the freedom that comes from understanding sin. Mm -hmm. And I read that and thought, yeah, I I should know that. And I I do know that. But the depth of some of the questions that were raised through that allowed me to go just a little bit deeper into that. So I would love to ask you a couple questions of questions on that. And the first one is how has the Holy spirit changed your relationships and helped you overcome sin? Well, I think a big part for me with this was understanding the role of the Holy spirit, what he does, because depending on the denomination in which you're raised, some of us grow up with this idea. The Holy spirit is kind of like this addendum. He's, he's there, but we don't really know what he does or what his purpose is. And then in other traditions, the Holy Spirit is almost overemphasized above Christ, above the Lord, and certainly above the Word of God, to the point where he's merely experiential and not active in sanctifying us and changing our lives. He's mainly just there to give us an experience with God. And so there's a a middle road, as there usually is, in who he is and what he does. And his primary purpose, according to Jesus, is as our counselor, as our guide, as our helper to become like Christ. And so understanding first the Holy Spirit's role has really helped me with allowing him to work in my life, hearing his voice, understanding when he is asking me to change something in a relationship, help me overcome sin. And the goal of the sanctification is, of course, to be made into the image of Christ, to echo God's character. But that often happens very slowly and very quietly. He's not going to force you to change. You have to be willing to listen to his voice. And so in my relationships specifically, one thing that he has done is convicted me of being too harsh or too insensitive lack of compassion, things like that, because I tend to be very direct, very truth and justice oriented. So it's not natural to me to default to compassion. And so that's something that he has worked in me. And you can always know it's the Holy Spirit working in you when it lines up with the word, it reflects godly character, and it's not natural to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And in overcoming sin, Really what that comes down to is knowing his voice and actually obeying him. Because the more you obey his voice, the more you know his voice. And the more you know his voice, the more 
you have victory because you readily accept and trust him. Mm-hmm. But when we refuse to listen, we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, as James says, and we choose sin, he, he'll keep convicting, but your nature, your own nature, your own wanting to do what you want to do will become stronger and you will become less likely to listen. And so I always ask the Lord, like, keep me willing to listen to you. Keep me able to listen to you so that I can obey you and be changed. Yes. That that is a tough line to walk between trusting God, but also wanting to do your part. Mm-hmm. I, I personally wrestle with that. I want to do my part. I'm an achiever. I want to, I want to strive. I want to work hard. And God constantly is pulling me back to, but don't you trust that in your rest, I can do more than in your doing? Mm. Yeah. And you spoke to that also of choosing trust is not just this magical cure and victory is not defined by never feeling anxious. And that trusting is a process, especially I love that you said choosing to trust God is a process, especially when your mind and heart are trained to live afraid. Yes. Our faith and walking with God is not, okay, everything's going to be good now. I've made that decision. I'm checking all those boxes more often than not. And I would dare to say in every instance, when we are walking with him, it's going to be more challenging. Because all of a sudden we realize the depth of knowing him and how much he wants to do through us and how much there is to learn about him and his mm-hmm. character. And I keep going back to your book because I, <laughs> I was reading this book and I am not a big reader. I, I'm just, I'm not, I wish I was, but I'm not somebody that constantly has a book that I'm reading and I'm working on that. I'm reading your book and I could not put it down because oh. I think Part of me anticipated to be a little bit overwhelmed and thought, I'm going to learn all of these things that I, I really don't know a lot about. And as I was reading it, I go back to that bite size. I'm like, yes, yes, I had my highlighter. And it was things that I so deeply resonated with that I know I can go back to, like on this topic of trusting God and what does it look like to be a part of that and to be seeking Him, but to trust Him and not feel like we have to have all that control Mm-hmm. And you said, what do we believe in if a changed circumstance is not a guarantee? If following him doesn't mean we're going to get exactly what we want, but instead following him means our perspective is going to be elevated. We're going to know his character more and we're going to see his will and how he's moving. And that is the guarantee that when we're seeking right. him, we'll find him. And yeah. you speak to trusting the character of God. And I, I can let you speak into some of these things but you had several things. What is it that we believe in if changed circumstance is not our guarantee? It's his character. It's his saving power. It's that he doesn't change. It's his faithfulness. I actually wrote those things down so that I have them for the days that I think, oh, I just thought that was going to be it. And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And Lord, thank you for that protection. But let me remember what you have promised me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you summed it up really well. And it's a truth that is always going to be hard to navigate, I think, for all of us, our whole Christian lives, that, you know, following Jesus does involve having joy, having peace. But a lot of times, if we're, we're like promising that to people, like follow Jesus and you'll have all joy and peace all the time. Well, then we're saying basically that following Jesus means you'll get good circumstances. That's what most people take away from that. When in reality, the joy and peace and and the richness of the Christian life come from walking with God himself. So we may not get everything that we ever wanted, but we get all of God. And that's everything we've ever needed, which again, human mind can't comprehend that. And I can't comprehend it, but in the hardest seasons of our life, we have seen how that's been so true, where all I had was all of him, but that was enough. Mm -hmm. And and you really learn, okay, I thought I needed these other things, or I thought this was the opportunity. I thought this was it. I thought this was my chance. But in reality, God is saying, you have all of me, 
and just wait and see. I'll keep leading you. You have all of who I am. Is that enough for you? (laughs) That's a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hard question. Yeah. And you know, I, one of my favorite authors is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian, um, martyr for the faith. And he, he really powerfully makes the point that disciples of Jesus obey and people, Christians who obey are true disciples, that discipleship and obedience go hand in hand. And so when you're coming to God, understanding I'm coming to follow, when Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me, he didn't say, come follow me and you'll get all these things. He just said, come follow me. They came just for him just for who he was. And they faced a lot of trials because of that. So, you know, if we look at the template in scripture, there's no way we can take away that following Jesus is going to remove all of our suffering or give us everything we want. But it is a guarantee that you'll have all of Christ for every single situation you're walking through. And that is our comfort. Mm -hmm. And that's why following him changes our lives. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's something that at some point, most of us didn't know we had before. Right. But when you know he promises a forever relationship with him and he promises to be with us in and through everything, it changes any hardship you walk through because when you're seeking him, you have this peace that doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the woman that's listening to this, that's getting really fired up. She's listening to your story. She's listening to your approach, the way the Lord's moving through you. And now she's thinking, okay, where do I begin? And I asked this question because I resonate with it. I know I shared, I'm not a big reader, but I'm curious. It's important. It is so important to know we are all invited into this space of learning about the character of God in a deep way. It doesn't have to be surface level, but we get to dive in and really get to know him. Where would you advise that woman begins? Well, I think when you're really starting out and going deeper, the first question to ask is, am I studying the Bible for itself? Am I able to read the Bible on its own? Or do I constantly feel drawn to reading Christian lifestyle books or fill in the blank Bible studies? Those have a purpose and they can be very, very helpful. But alongside of them, we want to be able to study the word on our own. And so I always encourage women, when you're ready to, to go deeper and you're like, I'm, I want to know more about walking daily with the Lord, the first question to ask is, do I know how to study my Bible? And if not, there's so many fantastic resources out there. One of my favorites is Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin. Mm-hmm. Outlines how to study the Bible extremely well very small, easy to read, so that you learn how to study the Word of God for yourself and have that independence, have that ownership over your faith. And the next thing I would say is, if you're not in a community of faith, to find one, whether that's a small group, starting out, um, attending church on the, in the morning, going to a Sunday school class, just connecting with other people of faith that can help you walk deeper and get questions answered. Be able, go to a place where you're able to ask questions. That's really important, as we talked about earlier. And then the last thing I would say is begin the practice of prayer. Now, this is something that's still challenging for me. I think people can tend to think, oh, if someone is you know, a Christian and they talk a lot about Jesus, all this stuff must come naturally. And it absolutely does not. I still have to discipline myself to sit down, study the word, make time for prayer. And I think that making this a priority and realizing it doesn't have to be 15 minutes on your knees every morning. You can, mm-hmm. you can write stuff down, take it with you, put it in your car on your steering wheel, have a little flip book of requests that you look at while you're waiting in line and pray over those people. There's so many creative ways to bring your requests and your, the things you're walking through to the throne of grace and, and cultivate that relationship with mm-hmm. the Lord daily. And so that, that would be the three things I would start with would be, learning how to study, getting in community of faith, and cultivating a prayer life. 
Yes, I love you speak into prayer. Prayer is something I'm so passionate about. And it's so important that we understand it's about a conversation. It's about listening. It's about getting in that still place. But that doesn't always have to look the exact same. I find I feel the Holy Spirit moving in my life. And I'm able to differentiate that intuition that I have versus fear and circumstance and different decisions that I make when I'm just constantly seeking that presence when I'm sometimes it's on my knees sometimes it's while I'm walking my dog but there's not a templated way to pray and talk to God right exactly there's so much freedom so many people I think are hesitant to pray because they think it has to look a certain way but it's really just an ongoing conversation with the Lord and um, one thing that I find so helpful since we're talking about this is writing down your requests with the date and then revisit them at the end mm-hmm. of the month so you can see how God answered. We yeah. tend to forget how he answers and then think, oh, God doesn't listen to me. But we'd be shocked if we actually tracked it yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and look at how he is involved in our lives. Mm-hmm. It's so easy just to keep moving. But when yep. you have it written down and you can see, I've been praying about that for six months. And now I see, looking back, how he was moving through all of that. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. And I just, I love to encourage women. And this is a cool conversation to have with you today, because as we said, all of our relationships with God are so unique and we all have different aspects of that that may seem to come a little bit more natural to us just because of the way we're wired. So for me, my faith is a very relationship driven. My prayer life, that's something that is so important to me. I love reading my Bible But for me, I'm so encouraged by you because it's digging into the word and being able to speak to the word that is challenging for me. And I so crave it. But the way that you're leading me in, okay, you know God and you have this relationship with him, but let's understand a little bit more about what the Bible says and the context. Mm. And it really challenges me because that's something in my faith that's important to me, but I've almost been ashamed that it's hard for me. So you speak to godly teachers and having people in your life that you trust that can lead you in a way that's biblically sound. And I think it's so important just to find people that maybe you identify that's a hard part of my faith for me, knowing how to read my Bible, how to study it, how to understand the context, how to digest it. That's hard for me. So who can I surround myself with that can lead me in that? Because that curiosity always leads to more understanding when we choose to step into it. But when you're too afraid or too ashamed, or it may even be pride of, I'm afraid I'm not going to be good at that, Mm -hmm. we're missing out on the gospel because it's a part of it. Prayer is a part of it. Learning is a part of it. Surrounding ourselves with godly teachers and not being intimidated or afraid by their strengths versus ours, it's a part of it. And we have to choose to step into that and lean in. So this conversation today is, it's a really cool one for me personally because it's something that I want to grow in. But I have a few more questions for you as we wrap up. And I'd love to know on the topic of taking your thoughts captive. So when there's something going on personally, and maybe it's fear, maybe it's insecurity, maybe it's unknown. What does that look like for you to take your thoughts captive? Well, this is super relevant to me right now, just given some things my husband and I have been walking through. And What I found is I can tend to be very negative in my thoughts. I noticed a a pattern of behavior where if things are going wrong in a given day, I'll keep a mental list of everything that went wrong that day, which is so dark and morbid. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you do that? But I tend to do that. Like, oh, this day is just terrible. Like everything's just going so horribly. Or um, in the work I do... I often feel very exposed. I have to talk about very controversial issues. I try to do it in a balanced way, but in the end, there's always going to be people who are offended or mad. And it's very difficult for me not to take that as a personal offense or as a statement about my character because I want to be teachable. I want to be humble. And so I often struggle with discerning, is this comment that this person made, is this actually true of me? Or is it just, you know, their personal opinion? And, and the Lord is, you know, 
I'm at peace with God for what I've been saying and what I've been doing. And so this is a continual choice and struggle for me mentally to choose how do I, how do I think rightly? And so what I do when I'm struggling in this way is I have a flip book of verses that I keep on my windowsill. I have two of them so I can actually put one in another spot in the house and one at my desk where I'm usually working. And I will pray those verses over that situation or that thought until it's gone. And I think this is an area where maybe many people in prayer, they don't persevere. Mm -hmm. They pray once and they're like, well, it didn't go away. So it's not, it's, you know, prayer doesn't work. Persevering in prayer is, is important. It's, it's a battle. You're battling a spiritual battle in your mind and in your heart. And that means that typically an enemy doesn't give up with one swing of a sword. So you're going to continue to have to speak that truth over yourself and pray that truth to the Lord. These are his words. And so what I usually say is whatever the circumstance, I'll find the verses that address it. And I will say, Lord, you have promised that I don't need to be afraid, that I can stand firm and see your salvation, that you will provide for me, that you fight for me, that I just need to be still. I'm asking you to do this for me today. And as I do that, I'm giving that over to him. And those thoughts that were there are now being countered directly by the truth about who God is and the truth about who I am. And that's how we can effectively fight. Yes. Well, that's a good answer. I'm encouraged by that. Having verses that you can pray over the battle of our minds and particularly, and that persistence. We, I think we're too hard on ourselves sometimes and thinking, gosh, I should have already learned that. And we beat ourselves up when the reality is we're broken. And yes, maybe it's something that we think, oh, I, I should have already learned that. But we're that much more equipped to overcome it if we've already overcome it before. If we've had that intimacy in that space with the Lord or we're praying over those things and that we do move forward from those thoughts, it's that much easier to know, okay, I got to get back in that space with the Lord and he's going to do that again. Yeah. Especially when you're doing the work you're doing and it's so public and you're on social media and you have that exposure, we're going to face a lot of that when you're doing the Lord's work in the way that you are. So that's, that's really neat to hear firsthand that that's how you battle that. So as we wrap up today, I have one more question for you. And it's, what is something the Lord is showing you right now that may empower this community of women? I have been really processing with him about his provision. So without getting into the weeds, I, my husband and I have been in a big life transition that happened sooner than we thought. I'm seven months pregnant. We moved into our house in November, our new house. And so there's just a lot going on at once. And the Lord has truly, I truly feel like he's not thrown me in the deep end of the pool, but maybe like called me out into the deep end of the pool. Because <laughs> um, I don't think he throws people in that way. But and in, in that process, it's really been a daily daily struggle and a daily choice to say, you are the God who owns everything. You are the God who created everything, who created me. And therefore I can trust that anything we need will be provided for, that it will be covered. And it might not be covered right when we want. It might not be covered how we expected, but it will be covered. And that trust walk has been very challenging to me. And I've shared a little bit about it on my social media that it really comes back to what we've talked about this whole time, Brittany, that the the Lord's character is our reference point of trust. If we don't know who he is and how he acts, we don't have anything to trust. We just trusting vaguely. But if we know who he is and how he acts, then that's that's our stability. And there's this verse, I think it's in Isaiah, it says, and he will be the stability of your times. And I just love that for 
any circumstance that is not ideal, job loss, quarantines, you know, whatever it may be, that the Lord is the stability of our times. He's a reference point of trust. And when we allow him to reveal himself to us, we have every reason to trust him. Stability that we all crave that. And we seek it in so many different areas of our life. And it's right in front of us. He promises that stability. Thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. And I appreciate you joining me today. And just again, want to speak over you that your living relationship with God and your obedience and how you share that is leading women in a way that is changing so many lives and leading women in this holy curiosity to understand what their faith means. And it's grounding them in a way that is changing everything. So thank you for being that leader. And I just hope you know that you're covered in prayer and your work. And I personally appreciate the courage and strength that I know the Lord gives you every day to do what you do. Well, thank you. That truly means more than you know. (laughs) The prayers truly, truly bless me. And I know sustain me and glory to God. And I'm so thankful to this community of faith. We all need each other. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. And it's it's not only receiving that spring on from one another, but asking the Lord, how can I continue to pour back and defy? Like, what can you do so that I can continue to give her what she needs today to keep doing what you're asking her to do? Because it's mm-hmm. this circle effect. And you look up to people. I look up to you. And the way that you know how to digest the Word of God and His character But I also have to recognize we can pour into one another because we all have different strengths. So Lord, how would you give me the words to encourage her today? So I hope there's been a little bit of that for you today. My prayer before this was that the Lord would just speak through us and that he would give me words to just fill you up today on this Friday and give you that courage and strength to keep doing the good work that you're doing. Thank you. Of course, I appreciate you being here. Want to know where you can find Felicia? You can follow along on Instagram at Felicia Masonheimer, on Facebook at Felicia Delta, through her website with her theology shop at FeliciaMasonheimer.com, and you can also listen in to her podcast Verity with Felicia M. Did you enjoy this episode? Would you hit that subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, and share this podcast with a girlfriend? A great way to help us get the word out is by screenshotting this episode on your cell phone and tagging us at Wheatful Woman to your Instagram story. We'd love to hear your favorite parts of the show so we can keep creating episodes that show up to serve you. Thanks for tuning in and we can't wait to catch you next time.